I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Chris, and I'm here to help with the aid of a show that marks the crossroads of pro wrestling past and future. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, a classic NXT review podcast for all you marks who want to get smarter about wrestling. And smart fans looking for a reason to mark out again. This week, we're brandishing our selfie sticks to clear a path through the very 2015 episode of NXT that originally aired on March 4th, 2015, when some of us were still rosebuds and not the sour-ass lemons we would become. Welcome to episode 93 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Prince Pretty started shit with Hideo Itami. Ty Dillinger provoked Jason Jordan to break up their tag team by saying the two most infuriating words in the English language. And the Brian Kendrick's return to a WWE ring was completely overshadowed by a hero named Kevin Owens, finally removing Alex Riley from the commentary desk by any means necessary. (laughs) This week, Alex Riley will go cry about it. Much more importantly, Sasha Banks will defend her championship against Charlotte Flair one-on-one after taking the title from her in a four-way match at TakeOver Rival. We'll hear all about that in Bob's Breakdown. After that, we'll dig into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We'll be handing out our Borance Olivier Awards for outstanding commitment to the bit. And we'll even be ringing the bell for a couple of people whom Bob may or may not have feelings about. (laughs) What's your over-under on that? (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. After that, Megan Bob will take a shot at predicting next week's twist in the ongoing story of NXT in a segment we call The Next Big Thing. First, though, we should talk about your prediction from last week. You have one point coming into this episode, Bob, but you are also Mm -hmm. at the one count of incorrect guesses. Okay. Last episode, you tried to predict which event would happen this week from a list of four options. Do you remember which one you chose? Oh, who can say? Fortunately, I did write it down. Oh, smart. And then I forgot that I wrote it down and I went and checked the audio. And the answer is. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens whenever you let two people with different kinds of ADD and ADHD do a podcast yes. together. I went back and listened to the raw audio and was rewarded for my diligence when I went to write it down and found where I always write it down that I had already written it down. <sighs> Last time, you chose Sami Zayn once again cuts a cell phone promo from Montreal where he's brooding over what he'll do to Kevin Owens as soon as he's mentally fit for an NXT return. Bob, you were right. And that means you'll have two points going into next episode. And also Mm. that you have broken up my five count of incorrect guesses toward my next bonus episode. Righteous. You have two points. You're halfway to your first bonus episode. And I'm a long way from my second one. Is two half of five? No, you only need four. It's five consecutive wrong episodes for me. It's four aggregate correct guesses for you. Wait, four? I thought it was five. Yeah, only four. Oh, Oh, well, that's nice. Yay for me. I don't remember why this is the case, but believe me when I say that I have a doc about it. Let's trust the doc. It's four. (laughs) Of all the things I can trust about you (laughs) is that there is a doc about it. You'll get a chance to score another point at the end of this episode when you guess the next, next big thing. But for now, let's jump into Bob's breakdown. We revisit the destructive path KO has cut through NXT, Sami Zayn, a Shakespearean tragedy, an unforgivable betrayal, Adrian Neville, 
a brutal and relentless attack. We're reminded that Finn Balor's next on the chopping block. Oh, and also he did throw Alex Riley over the Mm. commentary desk, and I guess we're supposed to care about that. I mean, he did say that Tom milked a cat once, so he does have that going for him. (laughs) This is clearly building (laughs) toward the first ever milk a cat match. Oh, no. A feline first milk match. Don't do that to cats. No, cats probably hate that. Cats hate everything. It doesn't even matter. Like, whatever you want to go ahead and milk them. (laughs) Pregnant cats everywhere protesting this show. (laughs) Actually, no, not pregnant. I guess like postpartum cats, but whatever. Cut to Regal's office, where Regal looks perfect in his waistcoat and plum-colored button-down. Alex Riley looks like a second-tier hockey player in need of a trim. (laughs) Alex Riley is begging for a match with Kevin Owens. Regal calmly explains that he can either be a competitor or a commentator, but not both. To be both is to undercut the product, essentially. Specifically, because the focus on the match distracts from the work of doing commentary. I was pleased at this because I, I, I now think I like a firm division. I want the wrestlers on commentary to be like a special mm. thing. Whenever they bring somebody on who's a wrestler, I want it to be like, ooh, somebody who's actually has, you know, skin in the game. And I like that the retired wrestlers on commentary still have some glory, but are understood to no longer be a threat. Like the fact that Excalibur and Taz are on commentary, they're like, hey, no, I, I don't do that anymore. Like, I mean, I I could get in there and try, but it's probably not going to work out for me. I enjoy that. Yeah. I also think it's important that people be able to push around a man in a suit so that other people can defend a man in a suit. Yes. I don't want the man in a suit defending himself. <laughs> Except Regal. Regal is allowed to defend himself. Regal and Regal only. This is a very strong line I have draw. There are cases that test this rule. For example, mm? late stage Triple H. However, oh. you'll note that like when shit goes down for Triple H during that phase of his career, he would have to go and change out of his suit and like change into his, <sighs> his badass jacket that he keeps, you know. Change out of suit? Somebody stapled some dark cloth onto him. He has never worn a suit ever. He has worn like a boxy bit of fabric that they found in the back. That is nothing. The tailoring on that man is a travesty for the amount of money that he has. And frankly, the amount of money that WWE has, it is unconscionable. I'm sorry, I forgot that this was your pet peeve. Never mind. Put Triple H out of your mind. Forget about the suit. Forget about it. None of it matters. Let's Regal's here. You like Regal. You like his clothes. Okay, I do. Because he probably has actually bothered to get fitted for something if he's going to be on goddamn TV. Chris, commentators crossing the wrestler commentator barrier. Yes, please, or no thanks. And has it ever been a delightful surprise, whatever has happened in the past, at least for you? If you're talking about somebody who regularly does commentary and also regularly wrestles, I don't like it. I mean, it happened from time to time in Chikara just because like of the indie nature of everything, you know? Yeah, because everybody... Like, it took a turn on the commentary booth. That's the fucking greatest part is that randomly it'll just be like, Chuck Taylor finished a match. I got some thoughts. It's kind of part of the fun, but it's because it's kind of ramshackle. Like, I don't think it's the ideal thing for the product. I disagree. I think it's extremely ideal. 
I'm not a fan of that. I will say, though, what can be interesting is if you have a commentator who is like in a feud with somebody and like they're not Mm. a regular wrestler, but they are involved in some of the matches. And so it's sort of it's an exception. I think that can be interesting because then it it makes the commentator more of a character and it it actually reinforces the division between like the not exactly objective, but like distant perspective of the commentator versus the more sort of personal level. Mm. Never a fan of Jerry Lawler's work in WWE. Oh, uh, no, fuck that man. Set him on fire. But he did have some stuff with Bret Hart where he did this for a while, where he was like in a feud with Bret Hart and would like get people to fight Bret Hart for him. And I think maybe was, you know, occasionally sort of in the ring doing stuff. But he was also on commentary all the time. And I think for someone who is like such an exaggerated character, that actually in theory is fine. Structurally, that was very sound. I never want Jerry Lawler to be on television, but I think it was proof of concept. Okay, back to this Chikara thing. Do you have a problem with Ultramantis Black? Because you're not going to let me marry him. (laughs) And I'm like, what? But you also don't like him on commentary. Will you not let this man have anything? I think that especially when it comes to Chikara. They did a whole movie about the fictional world that all this takes place in. I haven't seen it, but now I really (laughs) want to. But I should probably get super high before I see it. If you get high before it, you'll fall asleep. Oh, no. It's not great. I mean, it's cool that they did it, and I'm happy to have seen it. They probably had fun. (laughs) That's one of those. But I think, like, for that world, it does puncture it somewhat to have somebody go out there and do outlandish Chikara shit and then like come and sit on commentary and talk about the match. Really? It, I mean, it, not that it was never done well, but I do think like, yeah, for somebody like Ultramantis Black, I want to imagine him driving away in the Mantis Mobile or like teleporting away in a puff of smoke. Oh. I don't want to like imagine him going and like maybe taking a quick shower and then coming back to like commentate on a match he has nothing to do with. Oh, I love the garden plots nature of it. <laughs> but it delights me that it's like, you know, this is a mom and pop affair. Look, yes, he has the Mantis Mobile, but also whenever he signed a contract, he agreed he was going to, you know, do clinic hours at the <laughs> fucking commentary booth. And this is part of it. So it's like, all right, you know. Also, sometimes they ask him questions and it sounds like he's blushing. And that's really cute. I'll give you that. Our commentary team for this episode is Rich Brennan, Jason Albert, And Alex Riley. All right. Match number one. Adam Rose. He's brought with him a teenage mutant ninja turtle. It's Leonardo. A businessman, but he's not wearing pants. Well, he's wearing boxers, which I guess are a form of pants. A skeleton lady, a bedsheet pirate, and misc. All right, Chris, does Leonardo seem like the kind of Ninja Turtle who would like Adam Rose? Definitely not. Oh. Adam Rose is a Michelangelo. Leonardo's familiar with Michelangelo. They get along decently, but they are brothers. I think this personality type, no, no. I think he would look down on Adam Rose for not being more serious about his fighting prowess. Oh, is Leonardo the kind who's like has a KO shirt? He's like, there's a man who takes himself fucking seriously and has goal oriented. Maybe I see Raphael being into KO. I think that Leonardo's not into anybody on the main roster. I think he idolizes some Japanese wrestler. Oh, my fucking God. Because of that, he might now be into Hideo Itami. Okay, fine. But yeah, I, I think he's like, Leonardo was like, he's like a hashtag work rate guy. He sounds tedious at parties, but 
I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, you're absolutely right. Okay. Michelangelo seems like the sweet one. I like him. Canonically a party dude. Well, but also like a sweetheart. He seems nice. Very much so. I almost had you read the TMNT solo adventures for the comic (gasps) book bonus episode. And in his, he's like saving a kitten. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. That I did not mean to do that. Breeze's music hits. A long, sustained scream from the back of the theater. Did you hear it? I don't remember it. No. It was quite faint, but it was just a long, like, ah. It was (laughs) kind of amazing. The rosebuds are still very much in the way on the ramp. Breeze looks disgusted and shoos them away with the selfie stick, as commentary tries in vain to understand what a selfie stick might possibly be. (laughs) Ninja turtle. Ninja turtle. (laughs) Oh, the... This match, this charming fucking match, this match has big, your wild older cousin is back from college for Christmas energy. (laughs) The bell goes and Rose prances aggressively, pursuing Breeze around the ring. Breeze doesn't appreciate this kind of carry on and demands some respect. He pulls Rose into a throw that sends Rose to the corner while Breeze flounces to the opposite corner to lounge spitefully on the ropes. To a Breeze's gorgeous chance, Rose responds with, I looked it up. Okay, I fucking looked up a goddamn move name, okay? I'm giving myself 12,000 gold stars. <laughs> All right, with that, I can buy a goddamn slinky. Rose responds with an inverted atomic drop. <sighs> Pretty sure. Thank you. I saw the eyebrows of approval. A rare sight from you. <laughs> yes, it is an inverted atomic drop, also known as a Manhattan drop. Yes, yes. I know that as well but I wanted to use the other name for it because apparently some people feel Manhattan Drop is not the correct name for it. Look, we could spend all day about this in, you know, reverse shrimp hold, okay? (laughs) Breeze actually sold this inverted atomic drop in such a way that I believed it might be about the tailbone and not the balls. Breeze responds by hitting an inverted atomic drop on Adam Rose whenever he comes off the rope. Both of them are moving so gingerly and showing discomfort as they're sort of like trying to get around the ring, which reminded me of a previous recording that we had done whenever you talked about how never does a wrestler look less like they're willing to be touched Mm -hmm. than right after that. And they were really doing that. And I was pleased. Rose goes for the Party Express and is about to finish Breeze off when Breeze hits the beauty shot and puts away Rose, seething with disgust and outrage. And he leaves the ring, still moving carefully, which I really appreciate. I was like, oh, good on you. But the Rosebuds are in the way still. So Breeze kind of like swashbuckles them out of the way with the selfie stick. Yes, this match does have it all. Aggressive prancing, spiteful lounging, ass injuries, and swashbuckling props. Chris, on a scale from Sarah Del Rey to Los Ice Creams, how Chikara was this? <laughs> I'm going to give this match a very, a very respectable, smooth sail in Ashley Remington. Oh. Oh, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I respect this ranking. Yeah. They're not ants. They're not sea monsters. No. They're just two wrestlers out there having a very good comedy wrestle. It's top notch. I was like, more of this, please. Just this, mostly. You can almost feel 
like between this and the matches that have happened with Itami, it feels like Tyler Breeze is becoming the guy who can do a great entertaining match when we don't particularly have anything for him. Yes. Which, what a fucking skill set. Yeah, very, very valuable. I'm now on the, he has never been appreciated enough now, as far as I'm concerned. I'm like, give this man $10 billion. He is worth so much to your fucking company because he could do something that nobody else is capable of doing. Or that you, at the very least, will not allow anybody else to do, but you for some reason have allowed Tyler Breeze to do it. Unfortunately, someday we'll have to ring the bell for him. Or maybe not. Backstage, the tag team champs have talked shit about Enzo and Cass, I guess. Like last episode, something like that. They wanted to Eiffel Tower Carmella, I guess, which would be fine if she was into that, but she's not, so it isn't. <laughs> you know what? Enzo's just jealous. He's yeah. like, oh, hey, you're not allowed to do that. We, we can't do that. The height differential is too much <laughs> for me and Cass. Well, you get a box. Jesus. You just use pro... This is... Look... Do we not live in a world where boxes and like, you know, sunken dens exist? Come on. This is achievable. <laughs> You're just looking for a very specific Airbnb. They just need a consultant. But I mean, at this time, you were not involved in the wrestling industry. <laughs> Sweet boy, Frosted Flake, Wesley Blake and the Australian one need to be beaten to show us all that Carmella did throw up in her mouth in vain. Anzo and Cass plan to make sure that those boys live to regret flirting with their friend. Sister, coworker. I don't know. It's very bizarre. Also, I think every person has to, in their heart, decide: Are they a sweet boy, frosted flake, Wesley Blake, or are they an Australian one? <laughs> Do you know which one you are? Do you have a sense of it? You don't have to tell me or the listeners. I'm just curious. Yes. Okay. I think I know which one I am too. Mate. No. <laughs> <laughs> Flintstones and WWE ad. Yay. It made me really happy because I covered it because I watched that 44 minutes of shit. Although, believe me, look, I podcasted about it like a goddamn hero for way too long, but it was extremely funny. Hub and I both agreed about that. Backstage, Alexa Bliss has finally had her dye job done by a professional. And she, of all fucking people, can't wait to show the boss who's really in charge. And I was like, hmm, okay, this can only go well. Now for a match between Blurfy and uh, the team of these guys. It's Angelo Dawkins and Sawyer Fulton, who we have not seen in a long goddamn time. Chris, chat GPT to the rescue. Ah, okay. So it looks like you've done this in the form of a recipe. Mm -hmm. Here's a recipe for the Buddy Murphy and Wesley Blake versus Angelo Dawkins and Sawyer Fulton match. Ingredients. Buddy Murphy. Wesley Blake. Angelo Dawkins. Sawyer Fulton. Wrestling ring. <laughs> which, which is stupid. It's like having bowl in your ingredients <laughs> list for actual food. Here we go. Instructions. Preheat the wrestling ring to NXT standards. Take Buddy Murphy and Wesley Blake and place them in one corner of the ring. Take Angelo Dawkins and Sawyer Fulton and place them in the opposite corner of the ring. Let the wrestlers <laughs> interact with each other by performing various moves and holds. Add a cheap shot from Murphy and a big suplex to the mix. Finish it off with a frog splash from Blake to Dawkins for the win. Serve the victory to Murphy and Blake. And that's it. You've got yourself a Buddy Murphy and Wesley Blake versus Angelo Dawkins and Sawyer Fulton match recipe. Atrocious. So bad. Why? You don't want to eat this? So bad. The ring is in the ingredients. 
preheat the wrestling ring to NXT standards. What the fuck does that mean? I was about to ask you, what do you think that means? It means that chat GPT just has a really long way to go. Every time people are like, oh, no, AI is going to take over. I'm like, sweetheart, baby, darling. No, there's things it can do that are scary. But most of what AI can do that you think it can do, it absolutely cannot do. Just one last thing. And that's it. You got yourself a Buddy Murphy and Wesley Blake versus Angelo Dawkins and Sawyer Fulton match. Fine. Recipe? No, this is the recipe. I don't have to make the recipe to have a recipe. Chat GPT. Okay, well, I'll put that in the review. Yes, put it in the comment box on Google. Backstage, Bailey wishes Charlotte good luck. Charlotte's like, do you know who I fucking am? <laughs> Sasha's the one who needs luck. And I was like, sheesh, you tried to be nice. God. Emma rocks up to Bailey and they do a secret handshake. It was very cute. Bailey asks if she wants to sit together and watch the match. Emma's like, the match you should be in, but you're not because you lost? Yeah, sure. I can go hang out with you while you smile and give everyone high tens and give out headbands and otherwise fail to focus on the reason you're here. That's what I did at Raw. And now I'm back here. Yep, that sure worked out. Bailey looks kind of sad. Emma looks kind of passive aggressive and sad as well. It was very good. Chris, feelings about Emma's place in the story of NXT and the women's revolution? I am not very knowledgeable about this. I would not want to opine about Emma. What I will say Mm -hmm. is that in this segment, (laughs) the the use of Bailey to glue together two people who can't act was very apparent. (laughs) And just to think, it used to be that Bailey couldn't act. To me, she is so natural here. She is so interesting, so charismatic, so believable in comparison to Emma, who like, God bless Emma. I I like a lot of what, especially what she will do. But this is, (laughs) they should not have sent her out here to do something as delicate as be mean. (laughs) It's not in her range. (laughs) Bailey does say a really cute thing going like, hey, you want to go play with the bubble thing and like the bubble gun and go dance and stuff? And it was like, oh, man, they used to hang out together. And, oh, it was real fucking cute to be reminded of that. It was. It was really funny because Bailey asks her and Emma's like, no, I don't think so. And Bailey's like, yeah, me neither. Like, just completely throws it away. Such a better choice than, like, hitting that line really hard. It was very good. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey. Also, Chris, did you remember that Rhino is here? Because he is. Mm. He is here in NXT. Goring stuff, one presumes. I think we can guess that he's been goring various things backstage, just as a matter of course. He seems like an indiscriminate kind of gorer of a man. Mm -hmm. How many times has he gored the catering table? I don't think he gores the catering table. I think he needs his energy. However, and this is my read more on Rhino, maybe as a man than as a character. I think he gores the guy who brings the food to catering and then realizes that if he does that, the food doesn't get to the catering table. Aww. Like a large but simple dog. (laughs) (laughs) How did this happen? And I get the feeling from Rhino that it takes more than one time of that for him to make the connection. I don't even think he's dumb. He's just one of those people who's just he has a different kind of intelligence. Yeah. The kind that's good at goring. Mm -hmm. Chris, if you were going to have a finishing move that people popped for every fucking time, what would you want it to be? Honestly, the thing that comes to mind is Archibald Peck. 
Oh, fucking of course. Of course. All right. Nerd out. Not even the finisher, but he had this great bit where he like previewed, like, you know, telegraphed everybody that he had a new move that he invented, a new move. And so he grabs somebody in, a, in like a, you know, front face lock. It's like my new move. And everybody cheer- pops for it. Right. And then he does a DDT and then yes. everybody cheers. And he did this again and again and again. <laughs> That's what I want. I want a simple move, but I want to act like I invented it. And every time everybody reacts like I'm a genius. <laughs> there are moments whenever I feel so kindred with you and it is so unflattering to both of us. <laughs> I'm like... Oh, that's also me, and I don't like it. <laughs> Look, I mean, th- this is how we ended up together. Hell is other podcasters. It just it, it naturally happens, and this is our punishment. <laughs> but that is very smart. It's so <laughs> smart. Oh, God. Genius, though, to have it be a DDT. I, too, was like, it had better be something piss easy. Like, I'm going a chop mm. or like a front face lock that's my finisher and like somehow i only ever do that at the end of a match and it works to <laughs> s- somehow people tap out because i'm the best at a front face lock <laughs> now a match between tony briggs and baron corbin it goes exactly how you think it will more relevant is the fact that kevin owens is haunting the commentary booth and alex riley in particular Someone in the audience holds up a sign behind Baron Corbin after he wins the match. Brood harder. Mm-hmm. Is brooding measured in Heathcliff's? Or is Heathcliff the ultimate brooder and therefore all brooding aspires to match Heathcliff? So the maximum you could be at for brooding is one Heathcliff. I like that a lot. I like th- I like the latter because we have the Muda scale. And so I think it would be very appropriate to have the Heathcliff scale. However... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I must say, I don't know that Heathcliff is the top. I think maybe Achilles is the top. Mm. You may want to draw a distinction between sulking and brooding, but I feel that Achilles is brooding. And if that's it. Uh, you, I don't know that Heathcliff isn't brooding. He's both brooding and sulking. He's doing both. It's a real both hand. I, I'm not saying Heathcliff isn't brooding. I'm saying if what Achilles is doing is brooding. He's doing it for the whole length of the Trojan War. So yes. I think he wins. And I think that is brooding. And if it's him, then I think the scale, given the Homeric epithet for Achilles, should be measured in swift feet because oh. he is swift-footed Achilles. So if, you, if you've got three swift feet, you're really brooding. You're brooding 150% as much as Achilles. I'm almost sorry I asked. <laughs> Not a zip, here's my dick kind of answer so much as a funk here's my collected homer <laughs> kind of answer right mm-hmm. why did i think that was gonna go a different way <laughs> okay speaking of brooding kevin owens silently pours water over alex riley who does take it amiss as you would imagine package sammy Zayn in the snowy streets of montreal his head isn't in the game right now the landscape of nxt is shifting as people like brian kendrick comma the Rhino and Solomon Crow are joining the roster. And he filmed this on March 1st, marking 13 years of wrestling. An ominous number, but he doesn't mention that. But for the first time, he just doesn't feel mentally prepared to get back in the ring. And that's why he's here, staying up too late and stalking the streets, looking for an open Tim Hortons. 
Maybe if he watches the footage from TakeOver, he'll feel more ready. Maybe. That's Sami Zayn fellow. He's very good. Backstage, Regal is speaking to CJ Parker when Riley storms in and says, fuck commentary, I'm a fighting man. Regal's like, well, you do have to sign a contract and wait until I think you're ready because I make the matches, not you. CJ Parker rolls his eyes like, who gave Kevin Owens that scar on his nose? I'm the only one that's ever left a mark on him. Riley growls and says he'll sign a contract and see CJ Parker next week. Regal looks back at CJ Parker out of the corner of his eye and makes an, mm, I don't hate the sound of that face. Very good. <laughs> Match something. Wasn't keeping track. Solomon Crow against Bull Dempsey. Solomon Crow looks like nothing. I mean, he looks like a lot of things, but in the ring, he looks like nothing. I must correct you. I have here in my notes, Solomon Crow looks like the rebellious son of the Underwood ham devil. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thank you. He looks like someone put a singlet and leather jacket on a raccoon after feeding it monster energy drink. <laughs> I would tell you some moves, but one, the moves were boring. And two, nothing that happened looked like anything. Bull Dempsey led most of the match. And then when Crow rolled out of the way of the diving headbutt, Crow was able to do something called a slingshot headbutt, whatever, for the win. I don't know. I would guess the ropes are involved somehow given the name Slingshot. But the fuck do I know a move name? Yeah, nothing to add. Solomon Crow is not working out. <laughs> no, it's not. I was like, ah, this match was nothing. And I see nothing in Crow's moveset that supports his character. This is a bad video game, OC. Chris, talk me down. I refuse to talk you down. Climb higher up. <laughs> I don't I'm not very familiar with his work outside of NXT. Oh, he's decently fun in Lucha Underground. I, I know that people like him other places, but this mm. whole this run is ill conceived. His character makes no sense. His style, his attitude, his whole presentation does not work in NXT. Nope. I don't think enough was done to address that. You know, I don't know if it could have been fixed, but it definitely has the mark of both. Like, I don't know if this would ever have worked, but it definitely did not have enough work done on it to get it ready for NXT for him ever mm. to have a chance. It's so goddamn hard to make a character work if the character inherently doesn't have, like, a fighting moveset. <laughs> like, your character doesn't have anything to do with fighting. How are you planning to weave that into what you're doing like tyler breeze as a model you can go okay that's not going to have anything to do with it but there would be a way that a model would do things and priorities that a model would have that would be distinctive compared to other people a hacker i it, what is your plan here how are you going is it that would they guard their hands a lot Maybe like, <laughs> what are you fucking doing? Hacker is not enough. That's the problem. It's the mistake that people sometimes make with their wrestling gimmicks where they have the high concept, right? Like they have the WWF new generation style, like, you know, I am a hockey player. I am a repo man, whatever it is. But what they don't have is the way that that gimmick works is that it connects to something that is about approach and is relatable. So like you wouldn't really get into a fight with like, you know, a model or, you know, an accountant or for the IRS or whatever. But those are types and like those are specific high concept gimmicks 
that you connect to like a type of person that is relatable and you can understand what they would do. Like you would, if somebody is uptight, if somebody is out of control, if somebody is methodical, the high concept gimmick gets that across to the audience because of stereotype. And so you pick model because the association with model is, oh, it's a pretty boy. He's somebody who's going to be like kind of mean, kind of snippy, doesn't really want to get in there and get hurt and is kind of full of himself. Being egotistical is not a gimmick. But being a model is a gimmick and it connects to what you actually need, which is for people to see that you are egotistical and connect that to the way you wrestle. So if he were a something hacker, like if he were a, you know, a nerdy hacker and he was like trying to outthink his opponent because he knew he couldn't beat them physically, but he was just like this sneaky dude, then sure. Then that gives us like a way for him to wrestle. But just hacker, especially with somebody like Solomon Crow, who's giving off a lot of personality energy, but it just has nothing to do with hacker. And the fucking post-apocalyptic part. What in the goddamn fuck? <laughs> I, that's the part I'm like, in the post-apocalypse, they're still hacking. But also... Is he post-apocalyptic? I thought that was the Brian I Kendrick. mean, he looks filthy. <laughs> that's not the same thing. Although... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, he's wearing a lot of leather and pyramid studs. I've been led to believe that is a core part of the dystopia. <laughs> I think there is something about the look of like done up hair, leather jacket, no pants. It's like either you've just been through the apocalypse or a real fun night. One of the two. I'm trying to decide if I think that is any night I would want to be involved in. And I feel like the answer is no. It feels simultaneously grubby and pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, it feels like I'm going to be covered in dirt and Cheeto dust, and I hate this. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's how you feel about Grubby and, like, on this podcast, those are your feelings about it, about Grubby Cheeto dust. All right. That's fine. I mean, if it's going to be failing to live up to the thing it promised, because this is a fake everything. You know what I mean? Like, he's not that's not what's coming across. I don't feel like I'm going to get, and look, this is not an episode of Hard Choices. I don't have to defend my fucking self to you. Get the fuck (laughs) off my case, Chris Newton. I said it was fine. Yeah, but I heard the tone. I've done enough podcasts with you to know. Don't worry. Look, I'll fight you about Grubby and Cheeto dust later. You're the one who decided to swing at it. That's on you. Okay. The main event. It is the women's match. It's very nice. Charlotte versus Sasha. Sasha's music is so goddamn good. How often do you listen to it? Have you danced to it? I'm not asking because I think you're a replicant, but this does feel like a replicant interview (laughs) question. So I'm like, if you can resist shaking your ass to that tune, you may not be a person. I haven't danced to it. But one reason is that I often will like there will come a point in like the long car trip where I will mm-hmm. put on wrestler theme songs. And yes, Sasha, Sasha's theme song is always going to be in there. You and Violetta should dance to it. Oh, we could. I, you know, Is she going to like throw shade at your dancing? Her dancing is phenomenal. And her only complaint about anyone else dancing is just that like the focus is off her. She loves people to watch her <laughs> dance. She's fantastic at dancing. And she gets into music, but it's very unpredictable. Today, she wanted to sing Hakuna Matata while we were walking to the mailbox and check the mail. It's a good song. Top notch. I think she could get into a Sasha Banks theme song. Maybe so. It's just, it's random, you know? That's true. You you know what? Every week, just put on a bunch of, like, go through, speed run, like, 10 seconds of various wrestler theme songs. Yes. No. Yes. No. Like, what is it? And then, I don't know. You can get a data set out of this. I don't know what it's going to reveal. 
but something. What it's going to reveal is that no matter how much you want to, you just cannot in good conscience listen to Hook's theme song in front of your four-year-old. That's what I found out. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, other people can, but you can't. <laughs> I have chosen to cheat outrageously for this part of the breakdown by reading the Bleacher Report. This is what Eric Beeston had to say about this match. And I am going to read the match report, the grade and the analysis of the match as a part of NXT storytelling. It is not super long. I still have some commentary that I needed to add, but I feel like this kind of thing adds a weird kind of context that you can't get another way. Cause like I can't comment on it from the position of having seen it when it was coming out. I will Mm. never be able to do that. I know too many things about what the future of these people is. Whereas, you know, the people watching it, week to week at the time, that's just going to be different. And so maybe this is a failed experiment, but I find this shit fascinating whenever I go back and read it to go like, oh, that's how it was perceived. And like, sometimes they were right and sometimes they were wrong. And sometimes they had weird left field takes. Okay, quote, one of the greatest women's rivalries in wrestling today continued Wednesday night as Sasha Banks defended the NXT Women's Championship against Charlotte in the main event. Banks attempted to bail on the match early, but the challenger ensured the contest would continue, chasing her down and tossing her back into the squared circle. The champion slowed the pace of the match down, taking over midway through and seemingly having control of the bout. Late, though, Charlotte fought back, blasted her former friend and partner with a big spear, and looked every bit like someone about to capture the title for the second time. Unfortunately, as she came off the top rope for natural selection... Banks caught her, rolled her up, and used the ropes for leverage, scoring the tainted pinfall victory. Beeston failed to note that Banks buried her face in Charlotte's crotch for the roll-up, and it Mm -hmm. was a lot. I know I could have chosen other verbs, but Chris, back me up. The correct verb was buried, yeah? Yes. Yes. I I was consulting my mental image, and I got distracted. Yes. The answer is yes. Oh, you're a person. Result. Sasha Banks defeated Charlotte. They gave it a grade of B. Analysis. The best pairings in wrestling history have been able to keep their matches fresh and interesting by playing upon sequences that occurred in previous matches. That was the case here, as the two pros worked in spots that played upon events from their previous matches. For instance, Charlotte used natural selection off the top rope to beat Banks back at TakeOver Our Evolution. So Banks, a cerebral worker, countered the maneuver Wednesday night and picked up the pinfall victory. It was a brilliant bit of storytelling and one that helped to showcase how much better and more advanced the Divas in NXT are when compared to the girls on the main roster, with the exception of a few. Banks, when all is said and done, may very well be the best female wrestler on the WWE roster, and fans should relish the opportunity to watch her for years to come. End quote. How do you feel about this take on Sasha Banks? Like, I know you're a fan of hers. Obviously, you're a fan of hers so deep that you watched a match of hers on your wedding day. And also, which frankly, more impressive to me is that you made a Boston cream pie. (laughs) But this is like eight years of perspective later. Yeah. I mean, it was very early for her. And I think especially, I guess the only thing I really have to add about this when we're talking about like historical perspective is that there are different ways to judge, to evaluate wrestlers and those shift as well. Like the business is changing. And so like ideas about people change as those people develop, but also as your framework for evaluating people changes. And there are just different frames of reference. Like famously, uh, Dave Meltzer gave a match six stars and cited the venue Mm. as part of that. I think there is a limit to how confident you could be in saying that someone is 
a truly great wrestler at full sale because mm. that doesn't show the breadth of their ability to do their job. Like wrestling is not done in a vacuum. It has to be done in a variety of circumstances. It's like, you know, stand-ups talk about this. Like there are some stand-ups who like they need their audience, like their specific mm. size of venue and the people who this is their people. You know, there are some comedians who like work a lot on cruises and there are some comedians <laughs> who like they've adapted their act to do like arenas and stuff and so they're like traveling around the country and you know they have like an act that's suited to that and they're like club comedians i don't think you could look at someone doing what the women are doing in nxt right now and have proof that they are as good as you might think they are because you have to see how it's going to develop on a different stage the problem with that is to get to that stage they have to get to the main roster and the competition there among the different performers the personalities who are already there, different creative, all that stuff is going to drastically affect them in ways other than the venue as well. So like I think Sasha Banks is great and I'm so excited to see her moving beyond WWE for just that reason. I think she clearly like she thrived on the main roster in WWE, but mm -hmm. I don't think she accomplished everything she was capable of any more than she could have at full sale. She needs an audience who can appreciate more of what she can do. Are you excited about her being in Japan for that reason? Yeah, I'm excited about her being in Japan. And I'm excited just for like anything she chooses to do. I, th I think like Sasha Banks as like, I don't know whether she's going to achieve any kind of like mainstream celebrity. Maybe she will. Mm. But if she does, even like having that as part of her, like having her be a, a special attraction wrestler to me would make a lot of sense. Mm, yeah. So I guess that's just what I would say about like contemporary people like looking at a wrestler. You have to bear in mind what they can do where they are and, and have some humility about perspective. Because there are a lot of people who look great in the venue they're in. Mm. And then when you put them somewhere else, it becomes apparent that their shtick just doesn't work in the place they have found themselves. Mm. I'm now like, ah, I can only work in certain venues, aren't I? Like, ah. Okay, this is I'm having a moment of going, oh, shit, I don't want to acquire other skills. That seems difficult. <laughs> but Chris, I was curious what your thoughts are on the role of wrestling, quote unquote, press, as it were, because it is predetermined storytelling. It is like having mm -hmm. press about soap opera, but it's compelling and it's intriguing. And I get a lot out of it because for me, I'm like, ooh, historical context. What do you think of it as a thing that there is a ton of? I'm not super interested in it as like as analysis, you know, from time to time you get your wrestling news. That's one thing. Somebody is injured or, you know, somebody has been signed to this or that company. That's one thing. And then there are people who do like real analysis of wrestling. But I think that tends to be more from like a, you know, social sciences perspective. Mm, yeah. Essays, you know, or literary perspective, whatever. Myth. Yeah. I think that the analytical, like the think piece kind of stuff, like to me, what that feels like is like embedded reporting. That is like it is adjunct mm. to the work that there is this like umbra of the work that is like there's what's fake and we know it's fake. And then there's this like off to the side, you've got these journalists kind of like creating a narrative about, you know, like a fictionalized version of what must be happening backstage. Mm. I still find that fucking compelling. I think I'm a little too uptight for it. I feel like I'm being <laughs> I feel like I'm being worked and it bothers me as opposed oh. to me just being able to fully get into it. I think maybe that partly is like my aversion to gossip stuff as well. Like no matter how much I am into any like field or industry, I am not interested in gossip about the people who are in it, partly because I just have a bad habit of not caring about people, but also <laughs> because it makes me feel always like I am being somehow like tricked or lured into something like oh you like this person don't you want to hear about what they 
like oh. listen to what I found in their trash. And it's like, that's not <laughs> that's not what this is. Huh. I guess I just feel differently about it because it's like ephemera. You know, it's three thoughts a person had that people cared about at the time. And I love to go back and look at that shit and go like, oh, that's what you thought? That's interesting. Because mm. you were paid to think about this and you were paid to create content that people gave a shit about in your opinion about this. And it's very interesting to go back and go, oh, you were expected to produce, you know, some kind of opinion about what the hell was happening. And people thought it was important. And does it hold any water now? Yeah, yeah. That From the perspective of like as a source for understanding a moment in time, I think that's part of where it's most valuable because yes. I think it's very easy looking at the past to elide what are now closed possibilities. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things that like falls out of history most readily. And so going back and looking at what people thought might happen is always enlightening. Yeah, I definitely get that out of it a lot. Well, that's what I got. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think of this episode overall? I had a good time watching it. It was pleasing. There was some fun shit. That opening match was gold. I could rewatch that now. I could rewatch mm -hmm. that five times. Yeah, we only had these two, like, we had these two little bullshit matches to get through, and that was fine. They were over so quickly. I loved that. And so much backstage shit happened. And someone poured water on Alex Riley. <laughs> that was very good. Yeah, it was a lot of story, a lot of kind of shenanigans, a lot of moving things forward, not a ton of wrestling, which was fine because like, I think you got your fill from Charlotte, Sasha. Yeah. That was a very substantive wrestling match. But yeah, I loved it. I, I loved the opening match too. I thought that the, as much as I'm not a fan of Alex Riley, I thought that this went as well as it could have given that it involves him <laughs> moving that angle forward. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> We're going to take this moment to ring the bell a couple of times, barely. Oh, no. For people who you may have feelings about. I don't know whether you will. We're ringing the bell, barely audibly, for Tony Briggs. He's the guy who he had one shining moment against Baron Corbin, where Baron Corbin tried to whip him off the ropes, and he held onto the ropes, and he said, not tonight. Mm. <laughs> this was... Just to give you the context here. So Tony Briggs, he showed up in 2014 being defeated by Baron Corbin on NXT episode 242. He was then on a live show, 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 a live show. Then he was beaten by Baron Corbin again. Then he did one more live show and that was it. <laughs> so bye, Tony Briggs. I just I had to mention him because I thought that moment of like a jobber defying, like vocally defying Baron Corbin was so like, for whatever reason, I did pop for that. And it's so ironic, given the fact that this guy was like only on TV twice, both times being squashed by Baron Corbin, and then oh. left the company. Do you have any thoughts about Tony Briggs? No, because I didn't remember him from anything. But I, too, was struck by the defiance of some of what he was doing. So I was like, "Aw, you're jobbing more than your average jobber. And I appreciate that. Mm hmm. That's it. <laughs> I told you, you were barely going to hear that bell. With that tiny ding, we're now on to the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Bob, what did your elf eyes see this episode? Sawyer Fulton's like sacred amulet tattoo necklace thing. 
Hmm. Did you not see that he has a necklace tattoo? That huh. No, no. It is like a cord is around his neck and he has a sort of object in the center of his chest between them titties that is something. And to have that tattooed on you, I'm like, are you the chosen one of something? <laughs> I don't know what it would be, but it seems like you would only have that if. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Otherwise, why a tattoo? Just have an object. But if it's tattooed on you, probably a tattoo he got as a child, because obviously this is the nature of the story. Mm-hmm. Sawyer Fulton is going to leave NXT and then he's going to go on a quest of some kind and <laughs> he is a key part of it. Somebody's going to recognize it eventually. He's going to, you know, he's going to take his shirt off. It's going to be like Harry freaking Potter. It's going to be yes, uh, a whole reveal. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Chris, what did your elf eyes see? Honorable mention to Regal's floppy hair getting actually blown around by Alex Riley talking so close to his face. I That pissed me off so goddamn much. I was like, <laughs> you get away from him. Don't you dare breathe on that man. But I have to choose. This was an unusually big night for Rosebuds. Mm-hmm. One of the future members of the Authors of Pain, that's a tag team that's going to be coming up here soon, was in there. I think okay. maybe Liv Morgan was in there. I'm not totally sure. Oh. Maybe Kona Reeves. Definitely Nia Jax, the woman oh, with the yeah, pink yeah, hair. Yeah. That's Nia Jax. So yeah, really big night for Rosebuds who will go on to bigger things than Adam Rose. Sometime I would really like to see. Are you familiar with Journey into Darkness, the Kane novel? No. Okay, so they did a book that is basically a novelization of the history of the character Kane <gasps> that tries to weave together everything, what? like all the things that have been said about him. Oh my God, why? <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, it's it's so they why try to- Why are you not having me read that? <laughs> we'll see. If I get another bonus episode, we'll see. Another podcast has done it, but I don't know if there's any like- Oh, okay, never Overlap, mind. but they- deal with like all the oddities of like the things the character of Kane has been through and like seeming inconsistencies and try to like weave it all together. I would love to see some attempt to explain like why was Nia Jax in that pink wig so long before her debut, like explaining like what was going on with these wrestlers. How do you become a rosebud and how do you graduate from being a rosebud within the fiction? Mm. If this were like a real thing, it would be like, what the fuck is with this guy who like has this weird entourage, all of whom go from being absolute goobers to like great success in their wrestling careers, like greater than him. Please someone write me the fanfic of like what the guy from Authors of Pain, that giant hulking dude, like what was he doing dressed up partying with Adam Rose in this episode? What is his backstory? Please, please tell me. Uh, They were deprogrammed. Oh, oh, interesting. So maybe they were not originally aspiring wrestlers. Maybe maybe there was just a windfall at the performance center of like, we got all these deprogrammed rosebuds. <laughs> While we're in there, we'll just like tell them like, your dream is to wrestle. Does that or does that not sound like a business plan of the WWE Corporation? Definitely. Galaxy brain. <laughs> Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear this episode? Let's go, Lesnar. They were chanting about Tony Briggs. Were they saying Lesnar or were they saying wrestler? Oh, it sounded like Lesnar to it me because be. they were just like a blocky man. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's got more hair than Brock Lesnar, but I mean, not a ton more. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could have been wrestler, but either way, it was a pleasing chant. 
Yeah. Always like to hear a chant for a jobber. Yeah. No, that delighted me. I mean, there were other things to hear, but uh, Chris, what did you hear? What did your Vulcan ears hear? Also a chant. <gasps> I got to give you the context for this. Okay. In the Adam Rose and Tyler Breeze match, at the beginning, both of these guys have a thing where they like go up and sit on the turnbuckle before the match. Yeah. Like Tyler Breeze lounges and Adam Rose sits. So they both did this. And like, I think Adam Rose kind of outweighed Tyler Breeze and like he had to like get down and actually, actually mm. wrestle. So wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. And then Tyler Breeze gets one over on Adam Rose and then goes up back on the turnbuckle and vehemently lounges. Like, he, yes, he, he lays back and he puts his leg way up and then like emphatically puts it down in a lounging position. And the crowd chants Breeze is gorgeous. Yes. And to me, this is a turning point. Like Tyler Breeze's shtick and the power of his shtick have gotten out of anyone's control. There is no way to keep the crowd from loving this. You could already hear it starting to happen, but more and more you're going to hear like this man cannot stay heel. He's too entertaining. People are getting behind Tyler Breeze. Tyler Breeze is the fucking best. Yeah. Other than that, what did your human heart feel? You know what? Fuck you. It was Emma. Emma was sad. Emma looked sad and was like, my life fell apart whenever I went to the main roster. My entire family perished and now I have to come back here. Sort of like very, I tried to do the thing I do and it fell apart. And now I had to like move back here. She sounded pathetic and forlorn and I'm a sucker for that. So my human heart felt Emma's legitimate in some ways career failure on the main roster and i was sad for her irl yeah i can see that i mean i don't think the acting was up to snuff but nonetheless oh fuck no. this, like the story the connection to reality the whole like the connection with bailey all that stuff does work all right chris what'd your human heart feel i have a couple of options here but I, just because like i guess i have to talk about it at some point and it won't be at length but when bailey was talking to charlotte and mentioned like offhandedly like that charlotte has a beautiful smile mm-hmm it made me notice like how important and how powerful Charlotte's smile is. Not usually when she's just like friendly happy, but like Charlotte has such a different emotional register than other wrestlers. And when she smiles, it is so it can be a whole beat in a story. It can be a whole spot in a match when Charlotte smiles. It conveys yeah. so much. Usually it is when like when she's reacting to a setback or when something breaks in a way that like kind of kindles something in her. You sometimes mm. see this from her when like she loses an exchange and that's where like the competitiveness of Charlotte comes out. I think of the four women who come out of NXT, she's the one who thrives on like the challenge of wrestling, who thrives on competition and like besting someone else. And mm. so she sometimes like you see her intense, you see her with like her hair all messed up. And then sometimes, you know, she takes like a real stiff forearm or gets the worst of a wrestling encounter and then smiles about it like she's just bloodthirsty, like so happy to be here with someone who's going to fight back. And sometimes it is like not exactly sweet, but like as you saw with Natalia, when she does have a moment of connection and like yeah. respect and affection for someone, that really shines out too. She's, I think because of the nature of her character, she's underrated as like an emotional performer. But yeah. you can feel so much of what Charlotte is feeling. She puts so much out. And that is like an underrated key to her success. So, yeah, Charlotte's smile. I think Charlotte's underrated in a lot of ways that have 
less to do with her like capacity as a wrestler than like I don't know. I have Charlotte feelings that people have been like, you know, she's good, but she doesn't have like the passion for it. And or she's just doesn't have to because she's that good. And I'm like, maybe that's the case. But I feel like Charlotte's bringing something that other people aren't. And it doesn't matter whether she's passionate about it or not. Like she has something that she's capable of. And it's not even about like how good she is physically. Yeah, yeah. I And like, I don't know this about Charlotte as a person, but when you say that, it makes me think of, I think it was maybe in the Hall of Fame acceptance speech for like Kevin Nash or Scott Hall, or maybe the NWO as a group. But somebody was talking about like talking up Kevin Nash for treating the wrestling business like a business. Mm-hmm. And like changing it for everyone. The idea that you would like gasp, leave behind Vince McMahon for more money mm-hmm. and like get paid for your work and the risks that you take. Like there's no earthly reason that wrestlers should be, at, especially at this level, motivated by passion to the detriment of their ability to make a living with their short ass careers. Like they should absolutely be smart and treat it like a job. It always bothers me when fans treat it like that's contradictory. Like if you really oh. loved it. Fuck off. You wouldn't use your brain, you know? That is disgusting. I hate it whenever people take that attitude about any form of labor in this world. Do not ever turn to anybody trying to scrape together a goddamn living doing something, especially not something that you have to put your body on the fucking line for and say... Well, if you were really passionate about it, fuck all the way off. Yeah, I think a good habit of thought and this my wife is a librarian and this comes up in her field all the time. At a certain point when people are too giving and like too driven by passion in their jobs, what they're really doing is like becoming scabs who are betraying better equipped people who can't do that job unless it's going to pay them. Yep. And you have to at some point think about like who is being prevented from coming in and like knowing what the fuck they're doing and doing this job because someone with a lot of passion for their job is doing it essentially for free. That's why, you know what, we're both millennials. We've taken down a lot of things as millennials, you know, fast casual dining, all kinds of things. Allegedly Mm -hmm. mayonnaise we took down. I've still seen it on shelves, but who knows? But the phrase act your wage. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful and perfect truth. Yes. If the thing should be better compensated, it should be better compensated. Don't. Your passion is nothing. Stop. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, there's a distinction between doing something to achieve something versus doing something because of expectations. It's a complicated topic. But certainly when it comes to wrestling, I think particularly given the risks that people take and the way that they operate within like an ecosystem, like the whole the whole company is affected by what a major player does and what their attitude is. Yeah, I have nothing against somebody who sees wrestling as a job and and treats it that way. On the topic of Charlotte specifically, I think one of the reasons that she's maybe underestimated or underappreciated sometimes is because she was one of those people who was immediately identified as like a long time marquee star. Like WWE found her young. She had a great look, clearly skilled. I think they immediately pegged, like maybe they didn't immediately believe in Becky Lynch or Sasha Banks or Bailey. Mm-hmm. They instantly knew she's a star. We're going to make her a star. Whatever happens, she's going to be. And that's why she has like the pay-per-view record that she does. That's why she has the achievements she does, the presentation that she does is because she's one of the very few people that WWE latched onto as like, she's bedrock. We're going to make money with this woman. You're going to like her whether you like it or not. <laughs> And unlike somebody like Roman Reigns or The Rock, 
she never really had that moment where she got like completely broken down and like the crowd hated her so much that it broke that so that they could start to develop a different relationship to her. Mm -hmm. And so I think she kind of moved directly to being passe in a weird way. Yeah, I can see that. And yet so fucking good. Yeah, she's fantastic. If they treated her the way that they treat lesser wrestlers, then she would have a huge cult following and people would be complaining about how she's the best in the world and why won't they push her? But because they <laughs> they recognized it and pushed her, everybody's like, oh, Charlotte. I know, which is like, ugh. Anyway, we're almost done with this episode of NXT. But before we move on, it's time to hand out our Lawrence Bolivier Awards for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. Uh, Bob, who wins your award for this week? Tyler Breeze. Tyler Breeze all day, every day. The prop work. The fucking prop work. Because you can fuck up prop work so easily. And it's very easy when you're a performer to be handed a prop and to go, ooh, a toy. I know I'm going to do everything with this instead of really thinking, how would my character use this? What is an appropriate use of this versus what is me just trying to get a reaction using it? Mm. It's very tempting to go with the latter, but Tyler Breeze, I think, really tried to keep it reasonable and just go, Okay, I'm going to let myself have a little bit of play here, but I'm not going to like try to like bat at anybody with it because my character wouldn't do that. The phone is attached. The selfie stick is too valuable. I'm not going to do something that would break this, but I am going to use this prop in a fun way that supports my character. So fucking fun. I love it whenever you can trust an actor to have a prop and employ it in a way like that. <laughs> That's how you know who's mature. That's how you know on stage who gets to actually have toys and use them responsibly. Because, you know, otherwise you're just going to have people dicking around with shit, which is not what you want on your product of any kind, because then it's just pulling focus. But no, he was doing fucking phenomenal. And he was so fun in the ring with Adam Rose. It, he was amazing. Yeah, he's great. And I mean, commitment to his character and like thinking through everything. Yeah, I, I love Tyler Breeze as is well established at this point. Yes. Who gets your Borns Olivier? Sasha Banks for yeah. and I mean, she could deserve this on a lot of different you know weeks, but just this one in particular, I noticed because she had the main event spot, her movements, the way she uses her movements to express her character's emotional state really stood out to me. Like the way that she's like sometimes frantic, sometimes malicious. The way that when she moves, you can sometimes see her move out of fear as opposed to moving oh, out of yes. out of control anger versus very deliberate like cruelty. All yes. those look like those are different body language for her. Yes, they are. I really appreciate that. That is a kind of like pure wrestling form of commitment to the bit where it's like, yes, I'm scared in character. So I'm going to bump like I'm scared. Yes, I think that because Miles and I talked about this, that she's never become super strong on the mic the mm -hmm. way that some other people have but she does have that capability to act physical acting is i think stronger and has a wider color palette than a lot of mm -hmm. people's and i think in some ways i'm like it doesn't fucking matter that she's not amazing on the mic because she can do stuff in the ring that speaks much louder than a lot of other people's work which is kind of the thing you hired her for so 
Yeah, you make a connection with people too. So I think that she benefits from getting more well known. I'm thinking of her promo after winning the IWGP title, which was like connected to who we know her to be. Like she was still in character, but I feel like the kind of the sense of humor and the self image connected to her as a real person, which helps because it makes it so like, even if you're not really convincingly acting your lines. It's almost, and this sounds condescending, but like we can enjoy watching a person we like play wrestler. Yes. If that's what you're capable of in your promos. Yeah, that's fine. I have no problem with that. So that's this episode of NXT. That is one more step for Sami Zayn, I guess. I mean, he's still, he's in Montreal. He's got a long way to go. He's going to be here soon. Now though, it is time to see if Bob can predict the next big thing. This episode, as you predicted, we heard from Sami Zayn in that cell phone promo. We are now eliminating that option from your list, replacing it with a new thing that may be coming soon to NXT. Your four options for the next big thing that will happen next episode, including the three carried over from last episode and one new one, are A. Just a handful of years removed from appearing in the main event of WrestleMania, a former main roster superstar returns to the ring in NXT where Kevin Owens calls them dumb and threatens to end their career. B. Hometown hero Dolph Ziggler makes a surprise appearance on NXT, but unexpectedly sticks around for months and becomes a part of storylines, rather than pulling a Curtis Axel and vanishing after he loses twice. C. A very green, very sparkly Alexa Bliss beats the women's champion one-on-one. Or D. CJ Parker wins. I don't think we're getting anybody new right now. We have a lot of people. I mean, if Adam Rose is here for any, you know, even one more match, it would be so bizarre to have a main roster superstar. I don't think we have one at the moment, really. I mean, I guess Adam Rose, but I don't think he's going to be in the main event of WrestleMania at any point. And I don't think we're going to have Dolph Ziggler because we've already got like rhinos around. We have a lot of people. It would be weird to have Alexa Bliss beat Sasha Banks. That seems like it would be really weird and undercut Charlotte just inherently by having that happen, which doesn't mean that it couldn't happen. But I am torn between that and CJ Parker. CJ Parker winning against Alex Riley would feel, if they're going to have him fight Alex Riley immediately, it would be weird for him to win against Alex Riley. But theoretically, they could, you know, say they're going to wait and have C.J. Parker fight somebody else to, like, build him up very slightly before Alex Riley. I guess if he lost against Alex Riley, they could use that to continue the feud. It'd be pretty embarrassing, but... That seems... C.J. Parker winning a match seems like less of a distance to walk than Alexa Bliss beating Sasha Banks. Especially because Alexa Bliss would have to win clean unless she's being evil right now and she didn't seem evil. I'm going to say CJ Parker wins. Okay. I will note it down and try not to forget that I've noted it down. See, I normally don't show my work at all. And I know you think I'm guessing because I don't (laughs) show my work. Look, I did all this fucking math longhand and I could still very much have the wrongest answer. But there you go. You can see the three pages of calculations. No, that's good. It's interesting to hear what your thought process is. So your guess is 
I'm sorry, your calculation, your prediction is that (laughs) CJ Parker wins in the next episode. Thank you for continuing to take me on this journey and for giving me a different lens on wrestling. It's always nice to hear from other people who were like watching week to week at the time and get, I don't know, like everybody comes to it with such a different relationship. So thank you, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank you. This is fun. As always, this is a really good episode. I hope we did not get so in our heads that we forgot to express. <laughs> this is a good episode of NXT. It is. It's a super good episode. And I'm looking forward to next episode, too, because, uh, you know, there. Well, I, I'm not going to say what happens. You almost got me. No, it doesn't. <laughs> look, it, uh, foiled again. Yeah. No, way. I'm going to try and do Kathleen Turner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the NXT Wrestling Fan is produced by Lucas Brown with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for his theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook at the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Chris on Twitter at MegaDumbCast and Megan Bob at MeganBobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash nxtwrestlingfan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Chris, feelings about the Flintstones, feelings about Hanna-Barbera in general. I have no very strong feelings about the Flintstones, Hanna-Barbera. It's uh, the shit Looney Tunes. (laughs) That's apt. But I talked about this a little bit when I did the uh, Gameable Saturday morning episode about wacky races. Mm -hmm. But like for me, it's Muttley. I think Muttley is like (laughs) the icon. He is the pinnacle of what Hanna-Barbera can be for better or worse which is just like an extremely memorable design and performance that was has never been involved with anything particularly good, but will live forever in the imaginations of everyone who's seen it. Are you brave enough to do the Hanna-Barbera bad choices? <sighs> I would. The problem is I think I would be too negative for you because I'm not really oh. interested in most of these characters. <gasps> I would have to be picky about it and like pick very specific ones. Or mm. if we want to take it a step further and make it like a weird bad choices, we could talk about the cars from Wacky Racers. Not enough of a slut to do the episode, Chris Newton. <laughs> okay. Not willing to fuck a bear in a hat. I see. Why did I write it this Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to deliver it the way I wrote it. Don't remember what my original plan was.